If you are an average human being, you're dealing with other people, whether it be your kids, your spouse, your partner, your team members, your clients, so many people you're trying to communicate with. But what does it actually mean? Because a lot of times we think communication is, I say something, the other person hears it. But how many people have tried to do that and hasn't worked out that way? <laughs> I say something, the other person hears it. What they hear might be very different than what you're saying. And that's why I want to go into it and, and just kind of deconstruct it a little bit to get us to start thinking about communication in a deeper way, because there are a lot of layers to communication that we might not realize. So the first one, actually understanding communication will help as well. What is communication? Well, first of all, communication is a way to for us to connect with each other as human beings, to understand each other, to understand what we might need or to express ourselves that this is what we might need or this is how I feel or this is what I want from you in this context or whatever that is. And if you understand that, like we've developed this amazing thing called language and language is incredibly complex in itself. But when you actually look at overall of communication, it's about 7%. The words are about 7% of what is actually communication. Much of it is, I want you to go back in those moments when you're about to say something to somebody, but you're feeling frustrated or you're feeling angry and you're saying all the right words, but it's not being received in the way you want it to receive. Or you, you're on the other side of it. Somebody else is frustrated and they're trying to say something, but you hear something completely different. You're like, oh, and you will notice that a lot of communication is actually through our body language, through our tonality, through our gestures. It communicates different things. And then you add the complexity of language on top of it, it becomes very, very difficult at times to communicate. So it's not a simple game of, hey, this is what I'm telling you. And that's what the other person hears. Now, in some simple things, that might be the case, like, hey, hand me the this thing. And we both agree that this is a head headphone. Like, can you hand me the, the handphone? That might be something very simple, but something that might be a little bit more complex where you're trying to express how you feel about a situation that might not come out as simple and straightforward as that. It might be perceived in all sorts of different ways. So understanding that communication in itself is very complex to begin with, and we'll go into why that is. But the other side of it is intention. So intention is incredibly important. If you look at influence across the board, so for example, those, we have quite a bit of data, data around high performers. So if you're looking at the top 15% of the world's highest performers, one of the things that they repeat all the time to themselves and they have an intention for whatever they go into. Relationships are one of those. So if they're starting their day, they're starting their day with intention. They're setting intentions for, hey, this is how I'm going to show up today. Like Pruntas was saying, it was a good day. Maybe it was from an intention, maybe it wasn't. They're looking forward to certain things in that day. They're looking forward to showing up in their work a certain way. They're looking forward to showing up, connecting with somebody a certain way. So for example, I have certain words for my relationship that I've learned to set an intention around, which might be like, I want to be more accepting of people. I want to connect with people. That's my priority. I want to create inspiration in that conversation or in that connection point, whether that comes from me or from them. So those are my intentions for relationships. I want to be accepting. I want to connect and I want to bring inspiration into that space. Now, what that means is that we're bringing our conscious mind. That means that we want to create a situation that is by design, 
by we want to create an ideal situation. But if we don't have that, what ends up happening is human beings revert back to their automatic state. And the automatic state depends on a lot of things. It depends on your background as a human being. Where were you born? What did you, how did you grow up? How are your parents like? How are your teachers like? What context of life did you grow up in? What kind of social demographic were you in? Your gender? So many things come into that piece. And that's about 95% of how we show up is that we bring all those automatic training that we grew up in into every situation. So if that was net positive, we'll be generally positive. If that was net negative or very negative, we'll show up very negatively or other people will perceive as very negatively. So then what the remedy for that is to, and a big part of what we do here is to step back and notice what is my intention in showing up in the world? How do I ideally want to show up? And that ideal is going to be really important. What does ideal look like in terms of me being a husband or me being a wife, me being a father or me being a business partner? What does that look like to me? And if once you understand what that ideal is, so for example, I want to be as a husband, I want to show up with, with trust and connection, with love, with respect. And if I'm intentional around that, if I know that those are my intentions, then I'll be more aware of how my words are coming out. I'll be more aware of my tonality. I'll be more patient in a lot of ways. And the idea is that as you become more and more intentional, you're actually training your mind to take that as the future automatic. So you're not relying on whatever environment you grew up in, you lived in, bad, positive or negative. You are creating the intention based on the ideal that you want to create. This is why we walk through the vision is because part of your vision is how do you want to show up in the world? What do you want to create? Whether that's for you, family, or the world around you. And so... When you combine intention with communication, you're doing a couple of things. One, you are not allowing the automatic negative to show up in relationships, which is hard to do. So it doesn't mean that just because you're intentional, it will happen every time, but you're more likely to connect positively with people if you show up with intention. This is with the assumption that we all grow up with positive and negative. None of us come into this world with everything positive. I can be incredibly judgmental at times, even though this is part of my training is not to be judgmental, but in my personal life, I can be that. I can be critical sometimes because I grew up hearing there were a lot of criticism. That's what I grew up in. And part of that is as human beings, we can be critical as well. So part of it is our nature. Part of it is the environment we grew up in. But then once you start to take accountability, you understand that you have a certain amount of control over your mind you can train it to, to be a certain way. And that starts with intention. Now, I want to kind of break down a couple of things around communication. So a lot of people, whenever we're trying to communicate something, if somebody comes to you and they're sharing, especially if it's a complex thing, let's say you're working on a deal as an investor and you have a team working on it. One person is focused on capital raising, the other person is focused on something else, the other person is focused on something else. And you're dealing with challenges and somebody is sharing that, hey, I'm working through this thing, but you're feeling negative about it. Or let's say they're saying something where you feel like, oh, they're not doing enough work in that space, or they don't have the skill set in that space, or they're not being forthright. How do you deal with that? Well, first of all, the fact that you're feeling that is very important to notice. We'll talk about the emotions and needs in a bit, but that. A lot of people, they hear, including me, we hear something and we think that that's the reality, but that's not reality. That's just 
the reality that we hear based on our past. And that part is very important. And this perceptual lens. So we all have a perceptual lens, which means that the perception that we have uh, subjectively is highly dependent on the kind of experience that we went through in our life. It depends the kind of on the kind of family we grew up in, the kind of circumstances we grew up in. For example, like the, and I can tell you there are certain patterns that emerge. So I came from a third world country. I grew up in a war torn, partially in a war torn country. My family came from there. So there are certain dynamics that show up in my family that doesn't show up in your family, just from that context. But it could be somebody could be as from a single parent home. That's a very different dynamic. Somebody could be the first child, the the oldest child versus somebody could be a middle child. Somebody would have been bullied at school versus somebody who has not been bullied. Somebody who would have had a lot of opportunities versus somebody who is not. All that stuff shapes our perception of how we look at the world. So first of all, noticing, having the awareness that my perception will be different than yours. There will be some commonalities, but there are a lot of differences that we might assume in that moment. So when somebody is saying something, it's entering our ears and it's going into our perceptual filter. And then we're understanding something based on that. And then we're saying it back. And this is where you see a lot of miscommunication because even people who grew up in the same family have differences. Think about your conversations with your siblings. Think about your conversations with your parents. Like this is a very, very important point to understand because once we get that, then we avoid assumptions. So one of the ways that you can do that, a really cool tool, actually it's part of coaching as well, is that if somebody says something, you'll be like, hey, this is what I hear. Is that what you mean? That might be a really good way of repeating back what somebody is saying. And that could be words or that could be things. So what I feel is that you're frustrated. That's what we call kind of active listening, that you're you're listening not with not with the intention to respond but with the intention to understand the other side you're listening with the in, intention to try to understand the other side and why is that important i want to go into that because it doesn't matter where you go around the world one of my favorite teachers in this dr rosenberg who invented this method called nonviolent communication he it's a great there's a book on it and there's workshops on online as well i definitely encourage you to look into that one of the best observations that i've seen and it tends to work the best and with my clients who are in relationship like when i'm doing couples coaching one of the best tools that i've had is to bring his model and his model is based on two things emotions and needs and this is the part that we, once we get it, we understand that first of all, human beings are emotional beings. We're not logical beings. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It's just that we express those emotions differently. So what that means is that we look, we understand the world through how we feel a lot of times. So as an example, if I wake up and I feel good about my life, I might have a different way of approaching it versus if I wake up and I feel hopeless about my life. But in both cases, there's an emotion attached to that. Now, you can argue and say that some of those emotions are in your control. Some of those are, are not. It doesn't actually matter in this context. It means that every human being in the world, it doesn't matter where you come from. This is our baseline is that we come with emotions and then we come with needs. And, and when we're talking about intentional communication, what we're trying to understand is what does this person feel and what does this person need? 
in this moment. When we're trying to understand communication with the intent to understand, not with the intent to just respond, which requires active listening, which requires a lot of energy to try to understand where this person is coming from, what's their perceptual filter, what's my perceptual filter, and how can we come to a common ground? One of the best analogies for that is that think of like, usually people think of communications that you have this thing, like a piece, a ball, you throw it to the other person, that person catches it. There's a term for it, but I forget it. So that's what most people assume communication is as simple as that. I throw this and the other person catches it. But in reality, imagine this to be like a Play-Doh, like a moldable thing. And it's a game of catch. Every time I throw it to you, first of all, it gets the shape changes and then you throw it back to me. And then every time you throw it back and forth, the shape keeps changing. And usually where you come to common ground is a mix of the effort on both sides. So that's why listening with the intent to understand actually requires a lot of energy because you're actually trying to understand what this person feels in that moment and what they need. And I want to give a couple of examples of that. So I talked a little bit about emotions. So what that means is that every human being, it doesn't matter where they are, if you in any given moment, if you ask them, depending on how in touch they might be in terms of their feelings, because some people might have negativity around that. But if you just simply just go like talk to the people around you, how do you feel in this moment? They will respond. It might take them a little bit to notice that. I'm like, okay, I feel normal. I feel excited. I feel content. I feel nervous. I feel anxious. I feel afraid they will give you a spectrum of those emotions because that's within us. And emotions are very interesting because what they are is the label that we give to the energy that we feel in our body. So it's, it's not concept. It's actual biochemical reaction happening in your body. That's why when you actually, when I walk my clients through this stuff, if I ask them what they feel, they can usually pinpoint where they feel it in their body. There's an association to where they physically feel it. One of, so for example, if you talk to people who've gone through physical trauma, one of the hardest things for them to do is connect to their emotions because that's connected to their body because they have so much pain associated in their body, they can't connect with their emotions. They don't know how to feel. But on most people, even if they've gone through trauma, they can identify usually what they feel. So when you're in a conversation, you're looking for what the other person is feeling, what they're trying to communicate with that feeling. And they might be using words, but they're trying to communicate those words, those feelings through words. And it's a very hard process to do because our experience of emotion is much more expansive than the words can usually communicate. And then the needs. And this part is really, really crucial. So we understand certain needs. For example, we understand the need to eat food. Does everybody agree that we have a need to eat? right? We have a need to drink water. We have a need for safety, for physical safety. We have a need, for example, to be loved as human beings. It's not just a good thing to have. For example, kids, if they're, we know that if they're not touched early on in their life, like as they're born, they could potentially die. We're not just talking about like getting sick, but they could potentially die. So like just the human touch for babies is survival. So we also have a need to be seen for who we are, like our authentic side. We have a need to be heard as in somebody can hear us. We're not unimportant completely. We have a need to be understood as human beings. 
these are all needs. They're not good things to have. It's just that the effects of them show up later on. For example, we have a need to eat, but we can go without eating for close to a month and then it's a survival challenge. But we can wait for a while before we eat and we'll be okay. But we feel the effects of it right away after two, three days we start. If anybody has done any kind of fasting, they know that it's hard in the beginning. You go through headaches, you go through pangs, stomach pangs, so many things until your body gets them to it. We have a need for water. I mean, but we can survive without water for about three days. We have a need for sleep, but we might be able to survive without sleep for a little while. Now, these other needs are very similar. We have an emotional need to be understood, to be heard, to be seen, to be supported. The effect of them take a little bit longer to show up, but they're there. Just like the effect of food is, shows up longer than the effect of water. It's a little bit lower on the hierarchy of the basic needs. But give put somebody in a situation, a human being in an environment where they're not heard or seen for about three years or two years or five years or 10 years, you will start to see that human being behave in very negative ways because their survival is in danger at this point. And how do we know this? Well, as human beings, we... Our biology understands that our survival depends on connection with other people. This is why conformity is such an easy thing to do because we're driven towards conformity. Like whatever the crowd does, we will do it because our survival depends on us as far as our biology is concerned. This is why they say that it takes courage to go against the crowd. In fact, the opposite of cowardice might be, no, I'm saying it completely wrong. The opposite of courage might be conformity in social contexts. Because it's very easy for us and it's usually it's very hard for people to say, well, no, no, this is what I believe and this is what I need. Because it triggers all sorts of stuff in our system. So the reason why I'm going into this is that if we look at communication with intention, it means that we're actively listening to try to understand. And we're actively listening, which means that we're listening to understand the other person, not just their words, but what they're feeling and what they need from us in that moment. And here's the hypothesis, which is one of the best hypotheses for human beings. If you ask an average person, are human beings good or evil? They will say one or the other. But those who have looked into this further and they've looked into the nature of human beings, they will say that human beings are neither evil, not good, but they're also evil and they're good, which this is what it means that in a certain context, human beings can be incredibly evil. But in another context, human beings could be incredibly positive and, and altruistic and amazing. So what makes that, what is the difference between the two? And what, if a human being doesn't have their needs met, they will show up in all sorts of negative ways. If a human being have their needs met, they show up in amazing ways. Now there's one caveat in there because as human beings, we have this ability to override some of our instincts. So this is why meaning is a very powerful thing. Some human beings will not have their needs met, but they can override that with a sense of purpose. But that sense of purpose actually gives them a lot of their needs, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of direction. They can delay those gratification around many of those needs. But on average, if a human being feels heard, understood, their food, water, basic things are met, Human beings are generally very positive and productive and so on and so forth. And we know this. If you, for example, poverty creates crime. Why does poverty create crime? Well, because when people are in poverty, their needs are not met. 
That's a huge thing. Why do people behave in negative ways in war? When they're being attacked, it's very similar to cornering an animal. But even then, like this, the caviar I want to put is human beings can behave very positively even in those situations because we have a way to override some of those things. But we're talking about average and not exceptions. So the reason why I wanted to do this session, first of all, we have a group coaching session on Thursday. We're going to be talking about influence and we're going to be going deeper into it. And from a conceptual point of view, these are like, it's simple to say this stuff, but in practice, it's actually very difficult. I struggle with it pretty much every day <laughs> and within my team, but the work on it, the effort and work on it is incredibly powerful because as you work on it, you start to realize, holy shoot. I know very little with the person that I've lived with for 12 years, 10 years, 30 years. People who have lived with me for 30 plus years, they don't know me that much. And that humbles you as a person that shows you that, oh my God, there's so much to learn about the other human being. But we go around with the assumption that we know people, we know the other person, we know exactly how they are. That's not true. And to top it all off, most people don't even know themselves. I had a conversation with one of my clients the other day, and it was one of the first sessions, and he had a challenge within his relationship. And I tried to get him to notice, I'm like, okay, what do you need from this relationship with his spouse? And, and he went on, he stated a few things. He said, well, I'd love to have some quality time with, with my wife and to just go for walks and just spend some time not staring at the TV and just doing our own thing and connect with each other. And he said a few other things. And then at the end, I asked him, like, did you know this before that you needed these things? And he's like, no. I'm like, so how do you expect your wife to know? And this is the challenge that we need to do a lot of our work to find out what we feel and what we need in our life. And that is the hard work. When we do that work, it becomes easier to understand other people. But I hope some of these tools or ways of thinking about this helped you understand that if we begin to communicate with intention, we try to listen to the other person from the lens of, let me try to understand what this person feels in this moment and what do they need. And it might go towards a positive direction. And there are lots of resources around this, but I would say the best resource around this is Nonviolent Communication by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. Look into that. It'll help you a lot. And we're going to be exploring this very deeply on the influence session on Thursday, where we'll, we'll talk about the general idea of what, how does influence happen and what kind of influence do you want to bring in your life? What kind of influences do you have that are shaping the way you think? And I can tell you this. And I always say this is the more reflection I've done, the more I've realized that I stand on the shoulders of giants, people who have been a source of inspiration for me consistently, people who have shown up for me, supported me. At times, I didn't even notice it. And I've also noticed that a lot of the destructive behaviors that I have come from the people in my life. Of course, at some point, as a conscious human being, you need to take responsibility for your own behavior, actions, thoughts, and emotions. That's what we're doing. And that only happens if you actually notice where the influences are coming from. Otherwise, it's just an automatic reaction to the environment. So I'll leave it at that. And I want to just go around. <laughs>